0: We're going to think this morning a little bit about this phrase, um, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, or as Jesus says it in this passage, whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. And and I want to think about it in the context of what it means to win um, and and how we understand what winning looks like. So I came across a video this week of uh, Charlie Sheen, Charlie Sheen, American actor, um, a lot of high-profile public crises in his life. And this is a, an amalgamation of, of several different interviews where Charlie Sheen talks about winning. And I want you to pay attention to um, what he thinks winning means and how often he thinks about it. Okay, you play that?
1: Good start. It's a good start. It's a great start. Yeah, it's the first win. But you, We can claim to be completely original, which excites me, which puts me in a... In the zone of winning. I'm by winning. I win here and I win there. Now what? Let's just do it. Let's meet this thing head on. And you were, you were in it to win it. Talk about an education. And then like this, and then that's the guy, and he's our dad, and we can get all the answers and the truth. Wow, winning. That's how you perceive it. Just retired, because I'm done. I'm not very good at it. And they keep winning and building bigger houses than mine, defeating the naysayers. You're either winning or you're losing. There's nothing in between. How do you plan on winning that war? Uh, with with zeal and and focus and and violent hatred. Just you finally just go yeah. You know, good luck. You're gonna need it. I'm gonna be over here like winning. Um, come Wednesday morning, they're gonna rename it uh, Charlie Brothers and not Warner Brothers. <laughs> Duh. Winning. Uh, winning in what sense? Just winning. Just being. Because happy, some would say winning. that you're defeated now. Um, they can say that, but what kind of car are they driving? What kind of girls are in their home? I said girls. Yeah. I'm going to live my life the way I want. I'm going to win inside of every moment. And uh, and they can just find the most comfortable chair in their small house and uh, sit back and enjoy the show. You know, you make a choice to win. And you win. And just, you, you, you know that? Like, I have to call you. You're here all the time. It's awesome. Huh. I'm sorry. Winning. You starting to get the concept now? Oops. Winning. It's oftentimes says unknown, but occasionally, you know, a giant marquee name comes through on your caller ID and it's like, <laughs>
0: winning. Okay, Uh, so this is a guy who is obsessed with winning, and I hope you noticed what winning meant for him, right? Winning meant having the nicest car or the biggest house. Winning meant having famous people on your caller ID. Winning meant beating the other guy, sometimes with violent hatred. And and I, I watched this video this week, and I thought, yeah, okay, we all recognize that Charlie Sheen is an extreme example, but I think he's an accurate example, just an extreme one, of what our culture tells us about winning, right? That winning is about all of that stuff. And I don't think it's unique to our culture. I think that's been what almost every culture has always thought until Jesus comes along. And Jesus has a different idea, uh, Jesus has a different concept of what it means to win. Uh, and so um, we get here in the Gospel of Mark, in, in, our, um, in our call to confession, and our assurance of pardon, and our Scripture reading, you heard three different places where Jesus says this same message, because this is a core concept for Him in the Gospel of Mark, and really in all of the Gospels, uh, that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Whoever wishes to be first must be servant of all. Uh, in a nutshell, Jesus says, you can't win at life or at eternal life without being a loser like Him. So, uh, as I was working on this sermon this week, I realized just how deeply ingrained our, our non-Christian ideas of winning are. So, uh, quick insight into how the sermon prep process for me works. I write my sermon series months in advance, not the sermons, but just the, the big ideas for each Sunday, and I'll pick a title and some Scriptures and a main idea. Uh, and then the week of, I'll go back and look at what I'd already written and, and try to flesh that out and study the Scriptures and see what, what God's saying about that. So, I had written a sermon title for this week months ago, and that was When Winning uh, is Like Losing, right? And, and I was really proud of it, to be perfectly honest. And I thought to myself, Jim, you have knocked it out of the park. I mean, sometimes you can not only have a really good biblical insight, but you can make it pithy and catchy and just good. Jim, you are one of a kind. And then, um, just because I was looking for sermon illustrations earlier in the week, I decided to Google when winning looks like losing. You want to guess how many other pastors have preached a sermon by that title? <laughs> it's a lot, okay? It's, it's a lot. Uh, and my first thought was not, yes, I have correctly captured the core message of God's Scripture because everyone else has found the same. My first thought was, darn it, I thought I was original, right? I wanted to be the first one with this title. Right? I wanted to be first. Right? It, it's so ingrained in us, right, that, that getting there first, being original, having the most is, is the goal of life, that winning um, is about me, uh, uh, I come back to the immortal words of Ricky Bobby, right? If you ain't first, you're last. Um, But Jesus says, no, if you ain't last, you're last. So I want to think this morning about what that looks like. What does it mean to to reinterpret winning in light of the life of Christ? Because this is the key idea that shows up every time in the Gospel of Mark. um, When Jesus talks about this first and last conversation, it's always related to His role as Messiah and His life given for ours. Uh, So I want to back up a little bit. I want to back up to, to Mark chapter 9. Uh, I know we're in Mark chapter 10 today, but Mark chapter 9 is super important to make sense of what's happening in this passage. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. um, Jesus is on the road again, a little bit earlier. Uh, They are traveling through Galilee, and verse 30 says, "'He did not want anyone to know it, for He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, "'The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill Him. And three days after being killed, He will rise again.'" But they did not understand what He was saying and were afraid to ask Him. Then they came to Capernaum, and while He was in the house, He asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Okay, so just understand what's going on here. Jesus starts talking to the disciples about His impending death right i'm going to go to jerusalem in a little bit i'm going to die they do not understand they especially do not understand this idea of resurrection that he's going to rise again so as they hear this message what's their first thought who's going to take over after jesus is gone Who who, who amongst the 12 of us is the leader that should carry on the kingdom of God message after our rabbi is gone, right? Who's the greatest? And Jesus says, no, guys, if you're asking that question, you're missing the message, right? Because the message isn't about, can you get power over each other? The message is, I give up my power for you. Okay, so now we, we skip ahead a little bit. Uh, In the 10th chapter, we get this passage in verse 32 where they're on the road again, now to Jerusalem. And again, Jesus says, I'm going to die and be risen again. And again, they don't understand. And then James and John come to Jesus and they say, Hey, you know what, Jesus? I know we had this conversation like last week, and we figured out what we had wrong. See, last week, we were trying to be the greatest. We all wanted to be number one. We realized, Jesus, you're the greatest. We just want to be number two. How about we're just second in command? Is that cool? It'll be like your lieutenants on the right and the left hand. And Jesus says, guys, you're not getting it. That's not what winning looks like in my kingdom. And again, he points them back to his life, right? And he says uh, in uh, verse 44, whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So, here's the big idea that Jesus is trying to get them to understand, that Jesus didn't come to be the strongest. Jesus didn't come to be the smartest, to be the most powerful, to be the f- most famous, to be the most glorified. Guess what? He already was all that stuff before He got here. Right? He leaves all that behind to come. Right? He leaves all of that behind to come and be one of us, to, not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. We talked last week a little bit about how Um, we understand the work of Christ and and, and rescuing us from evil and sin. And we talked about this idea of Christus victor, right? That, That it's not just that on the cross Jesus bears our punishment, but on the cross He also defeats evil. But the way He defeats evil is super important. Jesus could have come to earth and snapped His fingers and made Satan, like, disappear, right? It's not like it's a fair fight, right? One of them's omnipotent and one of them isn't. He doesn't do that, right? Yes, when he uh, encounters demons, he, he kicks them out, right? But, but his method of defeating evil is not just to be stronger than it, right? Because he already was stronger than it. He has this whole different idea that he's going to give his life as a ransom for many, that somehow he's going to win by appearing to lose. Um, This uh, Christus Victor idea has uh, an an ancient idea related to it, kind of on this ransom topic, and it's the idea of Jesus as a fish hook, okay? So Gregory of Nyssa, who's a a great saint in the church in the 5th century, writes this, In order to secure that the ransom in our behalf might be easily accepted by him who required it, that's the devil, the deity was hidden under the veil of our nature, right? So the divinity of Christ hidden in our humanity, so that as with ravenous fish, the hook of the deity might be gulped down along with the bait of flesh. And thus, life being introduced into the pulse of death and light shining in darkness that which is diametrically opposed to light and life might vanish. For it is not in the nature of darkness to remain when light is present or of death to exist when life is active. Uh, There's an ancient uh, set of artwork that relates to this idea. Can you just put that picture up for me? Um, This particular picture comes from the uh, 1100s. And it's a, a picture of, of Jesus rescuing people from hell, okay, the harrowing of hell is what it's called. And you can kind of tell Jesus is the one who's standing on a cross with the halo on His head, pulling people up. There's angels behind Him. And you can see at the top and the bottom of the picture, um, there's like little demons, and they look pretty scared. And there's all these people reaching up, and Jesus is pulling them out, right? He's pulling them out of hell. Do you, you see what they're standing in? They're standing in the mouth of a fish, Right? Uh, and, and this is the, the idea um, that Jesus ransoms us, right? That, that He goes down, takes our place, yes, um, but when Satan tries to, to swallow Him up, he discovers that Christ is the hook that destroys death, right? That rescues those who are in death, that death and darkness flee from Him rather than the other way around. Um, but it all happens because Jesus is willing to win by losing, Right? He doesn't doesn't show up in His majesty, He shows up in His weakness, and somehow that weakness is able to work that salvation. Uh, I think there are all kinds of places in our lives where we need to think about what it means um, that God calls us to use grace as the hook that brings people up and out of darkness instead of beating them um, into our truth. You can take that down, thank you. Uh, and, and, and I think this is critical for us, that as we think about winning, winning isn't about beating the other guy. Right? That's the world's definition of winning. For us, um, winning is about bringing the other guy to Christ. When you uh, think about our world, I, I see this in all kinds of places. Um, I, I'll get, just for a moment, I'll get a little political. Uh, and, and I look at our politics and I think, boy, isn't our politics all about Beating the other guy, right? Whatever party you're in, whatever party your elected officials are in, the, the goal is to beat the other team, right? And And how did that happen, right? When, when did it become that our goal was not to, to advance our country or to care for our people, but just to beat the other guy? Right? And what would happen if, if in the political world our leaders said, hey, you know what? Maybe sometimes winning is going to look like losing, Maybe sometimes I'm going to give up some of what I want so that, you know, something great can happen for somebody else. Uh, And and what if we did that in our personal lives, right? What if uh, in in the lives of our our workplace or our family um, with our kids or with our siblings, we said, yeah, you know what? Uh, I would like to win by getting everything that I want. But Christ calls me to something different. He calls me to that hook of grace, of saying that, uh, you know what, I'm going to put you ahead of me, um, you know, brother or sister, I'm going to let you have the, the first go on the iPad screen time today, even though I really want it, right? Um, Coworker, I know that um, we're working out on vacation days right now, and I really wanted that week, but if that's important to your family, why don't you take those dates, and I'll find something else. I'll, I know that um, this is really important to you, and so um, I'm not going to try to get what I want. I'm going to try to give you what you need, right? What, what, what if we said, um, I might actually win by being last, right? This is what Jesus does. Um, he picks a fight he can't lose, right? He gives his life as a ransom and he wins by being in service to others. And this is such a huge idea for us that winning isn't about beating the other but serving the other. Uh, there's another component of this that I think is really important. Um, it's not just that we are always trying to beat the other. I think we're also always comparing ourselves to the other, right? I mean, Maybe I don't actually have to beat you down, but I will feel better if I'm, I'm more original, or I'm smarter, or I'm faster, or I'm richer, or I'm… And Jesus recognizes this, right? And, and um, earlier in, in chapter 10, He has a conversation with the disciples uh, because there's a rich young ruler who comes to visit Him, And he wants to know about how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. And he says, I have. And then um, he says, what else should I do? And Jesus says, um, looking at him and loving him, sell all that you have, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. The Bible says this young man goes away Um, sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looks after him and he says something dramatic. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, And then he says again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and I think Jesus brings money into this conversation because it is the cross-cultural metric for comparing ourselves with others, right? How do I know if I'm, if I'm um, winning? It's, well, I've got more than you. Right? And so, um, Peter, I love him. They still don't get it. I just love him. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What does he say? He says, hey, we, we've done what you said. In fact, compare us to them. We've done way better, Right? And Jesus says, ah, you're still comparing, right? That's not the goal. It's not the goal that you're more spiritual than them or richer than them. It's the goal that you're with me, right? Jesus says, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. See, I I think the challenge for us is uh, that when we determine our value based on being better than someone at something, we will always discover that there's someone better than us, right? If, If I'm the best at my job, then I will struggle to discover there are many people better at it than me. And if I'm the smartest guy in the room, then I will be really uncomfortably surprised to discover that there's lots of people smarter than me. And if I think I've got the most wealth or the most influence, that there's always somebody more. Somebody already ha- always has more friends or more success or more popularity or more, more well-behaved children or a more thoughtful spouse or is more spiritual or is more patriotic or is more whatever you want to be. But if winning is about making ourselves less to lift others up, if winning is about serving and not comparing, uh, then perhaps we begin to see a whole different perspective of who Christ calls us to be. I, I came across a real interesting story this week in the news. I'm sure a lot of you have heard there's been um, some sort of anti-Asian violence going on in our nation, and of course the horrible shootings that happened in Atlanta um, may have been part of that. Uh, and there was an individual who was, a, I think he's the treasurer for the town of Westchester in Ohio, I believe, whose name is Lee Wong. And, and Lee was at a, a city board meeting for his town of 61,000 people this week and um, started talking about his experience of feeling like folks were always comparing him and, and that he, as an Asian-American was judged to come up short in terms of his patriotism or his Americanness. And it, it's kind of dramatic, but I want you to you see and hear his response to that experience. Would you play that?
2: You know, I'm getting a little hard on this issue here. P- people question my patriotism, that I don't look American enough. They could not get over this face. Uh, I want to show you something. I want to tell you. Because I'm not afraid. I don't have to live in fear, intimidation, or insults. I'm 69 years old. And I'm going to show you what patriotism, the questions about patriotism looks like. Here is my proof. Huh? This is sustained through my service in the US military. Now is this patriot enough? I'm not ashamed to walk around anymore. Before I was felt inhibited. People look at me strange and dare to question me my loyalty to this country. I don't look American enough. Now, last I read the U.S. Constitution, we the people, we are all the same. We are equal. Not this. You are more superior. You are not. We are all the same. We are
0: Lee Wong served for 20 years in the U.S. Army uh, and sustained those injuries in, in, in service. And I watched that video and I thought, um, what if we measured our success um, by our scars and not by our trophies. Um, What if we said it's it's those things we have gained in service to others that are to our credit, of which we are most proud, not those things we have claimed above and beyond others or in comparison to others or by beating others. What if we said uh, that that was an object lesson for us to say, yes, it will cost us to recommend someone else Above ourselves, uh, it will cost us to give away what we've been given instead of keeping it for ourselves. But in the end, um, we might have the privilege of losing like Jesus. Today's Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is a lot of stuff, right? I mean, it's the triumph and entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and you know, as we read in Zechariah earlier, it is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. But it's also an object lesson. Jesus has been working with these beautiful blockhead disciples, trying to get them to understand what it means, that His life is going to be given as a ransom for many, as a fish hook of grace, and that in His weakness, He will conquer, and that if they want to be His disciples, they have to win like Him, right? And not like the world says how we're to win. Uh, and, And so, it's an object lesson for us today, What does it mean that we follow a rabbi on a donkey? What does it mean that we're called to take our cloaks and our palms and our lives and place them before Him? And what might it mean if we choose to live our lives um, as winners or as losers in the image of Christ? You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. Thanks be to Him. Amen.